If you guys would, please stand for the reading of the word. <clears throat> Just a reminder that there are Bibles in the back pockets of every chair. If you do not have one, um, they're a gift to you, so please feel free to take them. This morning's verse will be from Mark chapter 7, verses 9 through 23. This is the word of the Lord. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained for me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making the word of God, avoid the word of God by the tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From... For from within, out of the heart of a man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Thus says the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we recognize the truth of the words of Jesus that it is not from without us, from externally to us that we are made corrupt, but it is from what dwells in our heart. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just have mercy on us as people who are so polluted, so corrupted, Lord, and that we would be, as we were at the first, those who believe that we would be recipients of your grace continually, Lord God. We pray that um, we would not be mastered by sin, but that we would be mastered by Jesus and that we would submit to him. And we pray that we would find freedom and liberty from our uncleanness in him, that we would truly be made pure and righteous through the sanctifying process of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you have, as vile as we are, you have extended grace to so many of us. And Lord, I pray for those that are gathered here this morning who have not yet been recipients of so amazing a grace, Lord, that you would call their names this morning, draw them to yourself, cleanse and purify them by the holy and sweet blood of Jesus. God, I pray for myself as I lay your word before your people, Lord. I pray that as we speak of inner corruptions, that my own inner corruption would not in any way pollute the preaching of your gospel, Lord, but that I would speak as someone who is is sanctified by the Holy Spirit myself, Lord. And so I thank you for this. I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you for the people that are gathered here who you love so dearly. And Lord, just bless this time under the authority and ministry of your word. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Sherry Landers, it is great to see you this morning. Glad you're here with us. So glad to have you. Yeah. We're very glad to have you visiting. And for the rest of you that are visiting, good to have you. We've been in a series in the Gospel of Mark. And um, in our text last week, this is kind of a two-parter, this being the second part, Jesus and his disciples were accosted by legalistic Pharisees um, who had traveled quite a great distance, probably on foot, about 80 miles, um, and their sole purpose in traveling to Jesus was to find grounds to accuse him. His popularity had reached an apex. It had just uh, he'd just blown up, and and uh, they were very concerned about that. And so they came looking for grounds to accuse him, and it didn't take them long to find what they were looking for. For when they arrived, they saw that the disciples of Jesus did not adhere to the ceremonial hand-washing that was prescribed by the tradition of their elders. And, they, and the Pharisees, without hesitation, called the disciples on this. They said, what's going on here? Why are you not washing your hands as the elders have prescribed? But Jesus, quoting from Isaiah, condemned them as hypocrites for neglecting clear commandments of the Scripture, and, and he pointed to the supremacy of the Word of God over their traditions. Legalism is an ugly thing. In his commentary on, on Mark, R.C. Sproul lists three types of legalism that we can encounter. And that, in, on, in all honesty, if we're being honest with ourselves and truthful, we not only encounter this out there, but we usually account, encounter it in here when we see it. The first type of legalism is the belief that we can be justified in the sight of God by our obedience to the law. But the scripture tells us this is not the case. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law is not a prescription to be right before God. The law has been given to show you how unright with God you are. Amen? Sinners cannot therefore be justified by doing their best effort on the works of the law. Sinners can only be justified by placing their faith in Jesus alone. But the second type of legalism is what we looked at last week. It's the elevation of the traditions of men and binding the consciences of people to those traditions. And and in so doing, we bring them into slavery to those traditions instead of setting them free as God intended. And then lastly is the type of legalism that we're going to examine today. R.C. Sproul uh, coined a term for this. It's called loopholeism. And loopholeism is how people manufacture ways to kind of navigate their way around God's law. And they appear, in this navigation, they appear to adhere to the letter of the law, the strictest interpretation of the law. But even while they're doing that, they're actually trampling on or dismissing the entire point of the law. The entire spirit of the law is being trampled under their sinful feet. Has anybody in this room ever seen any of those three types of legalism out there? 
Has anybody ever seen that type of legalism in here? So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at this text that Jared read to you, and we're going to learn, hopefully, two rock-solid biblical truths from this text. The first is this, that the establishment of human traditions leads to a disregard of the authority, the clarity, and the sufficiency of Scripture. Always. That's what it always does. Our second thing we're going to discover is that the observance of such traditions is entirely worthless when it comes to the cleansing of the human heart. By the grace of God, as we look at these two truths, it's going to culminate in the joyous discovery that it's only by the power of Jesus Christ that we can be made truly clean. Now, So, getting back to last week, after delivering the guilty verdict in response to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, Jesus makes another illuminating yet logical charge against them. He says in verse 9 of the passage we read today, he says, You have a fine way of, watch this, rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your traditions. Those two words are very important, rejecting and establish. Here's why. Jesus' statement implies that human condition, I'm sorry, human tradition is utterly incompatible with the commandment of God. One has to be established, and, and when that one is established, the other one has to be rejected. This is contrary to the way that you and I sometimes think. See, our lives are filled with traditions handed down by our parents by the churches we grew up in, by our own vain imaginations. We've formulated and collected all of these traditions that we cling to. And we may never think, because of how deeply ingrained those things are, to examine our belief systems by something outside of ourselves, something objective, something like the Word of God. We only weigh truth according to our prejudices or according to our level of comfort. But Christ is saying here, please do not miss this fact. He's saying here that if all such human traditions don't give way to heavenly commandments, the human will eventually displace the heavenly. And our hearts will be corrupted. And this becomes evidenced by the choosing of our priorities. Whether you are clinging to the traditions of humanity or the commandment of God will will be clearly seen in the choosing of your priorities. Romans 3 verses 4 addresses this this way so beautifully. Let God be true, though everyone else is a liar. Human tradition is the center line of the broad highway that leads to death. Human tradition, not necessarily religious tradition, just human tradition. If we combed our hearts this morning, which preaching is designed to make us comb our hearts, the hearing of the Word of God is to make us think and to relate and to apply. And if we were to comb our hearts this morning, what beliefs would we find residing on the inside that are absolutely contrary to what God has said in His Word? Jesus makes this point clear. 
in the text this morning with a scriptural illustration. As a great preacher, he draws them back to the text. He takes them to the Bible. And his lesson begins with these very important words. Three words. This is how he addresses the Pharisees. For Moses says... Now why is that important? Because everyone in that group to whom Jesus was speaking would have acknowledged that Moses was God's chosen spokesman. No argument there. They also would have clearly agreed that what Moses wrote constituted Holy Scripture on the basis of the fact that he was God's spokesman. And so he cites, he goes to the Ten Commandments, he goes directly to the Ten Commandments, and he cites the Fifth Commandment for them to consider. He says, hey guys, remember how Moses wrote, honor your father and your mother. And then to bring the point home, he goes just a little bit deeper in the law. If you look at this, Exodus, uh, the Ten Commandments are Exodus 20, this is Exodus 21. He tells them the, the, the severity of God's justice in the consequences of breaking this law. Honor your father and your mother. He says, whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. Now let me just ask you, Young people especially, some of you older people with regrets, how many of you are grateful for the grace of God that disrespect for your parents no longer carries the death penalty? Raise your hand. When Jesus gives this commandment and the the consequence of breaking that commandment to the Pharisees, notice that there is no argument over the authority or the centrality of these verses made by anyone to whom Jesus is speaking. There is no theological debate. There is no you know uh, a school of this thought or school of that thought. Everyone agrees. They all regard this as God's holy law. But then, Jesus makes an uncomfortable comparison. See, on this side, he said, for Moses said, and then over here, he looks at these guys and he said, but you say. See, he's trying trying to draw everybody's attention to the fact that these guys who are commenting on this clear command of God are not God's chosen spokesmen. What they say does not carry the weight of Holy Scripture. And yet they freely impose the burden of their traditions and their opinions on everyone in Israel. And what did they say? They say this, in in response to, to Moses saying, Honor your mother and father, whoever reviles his father and mother should surely die. They say this, If a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Now, Corban, this word, C-O-R-B-A-N, is a Hebrew, Hebrew or Aramaic word that means dedicated to God. And the idea was that a person could, upon their death, that they could transfer all of their remaining wealth to the, to the temple. It was, it was an act of generous bequeathal by a faithful Jew to give all his stuff, all his worldly possessions, all his wealth to the temple at his death. But 
the way the rabbis had written this tradition, it didn't mean that this cash was left in a trust until the day of the man's death. On the contrary, the one endowing it could use it for whatever he wanted until the day of his death. He could use it for whatever. There were no restrictions on it whatsoever. And because they vowed to give it to the temple, though, there was a legal loophole. See, they were now freed from giving it by the rabbinical tradition that they didn't have any need, any obligation to give it for the, to, to use any of it to assist feeble aging parents. Sorry, mom and dad, I'm sorry. I know you're in real bad trouble, but I gave it to God and we're going to the lake this weekend. And they, and they, they kept people from giving it to God no matter what the law The clear commandment, the fifth commandment said. Their tradition provided a legal loophole to keep them out from under the true obligation of the law. Now don't miss the importance of what's happening here. The rabbis and the Pharisees had actually spiritualized the disobedience of the people. Think about that. Let me say that one more time. The rabbis and the Pharisees had actually spiritualized the disobedience of the people. Jesus said that because of the emphasis placed on the tradition, he even uses this word, he says they didn't permit people to do anything for their parents. They were barred from doing anything for their parents. They put up obstacles in their way to doing things for their parents. And why? Because of this incorrect view of the power of a vow. But we talked about this a couple weeks ago. No vow that comes out of your lips is valid if it negates obedience to God's revealed law. God's commandment trumps your vow. Jesus pointed this out. Well, last week we referred a couple of times to Matthew 23 where Jesus gives his final verdict against the scribes and Pharisees. And in Matthew 23, 16, he talks about this issue of vows. He says, woe to you blind guides. The blind guides are the Pharisees. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by the oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus rebuked all of their sanctimonious nitpicking. You know you're in trouble. When you open the word of God and in the words of Jesus, you're straining out gnats and swallowing camels. Jesus has no use for that whatsoever. And Jesus told them that in their pride and in their hypocrisy, they had made the word of God void. They'd made it empty. They had made it meaningless. They had made it futile. They had vetoed 
what the living God had commanded. And they did it. They vetoed God in the name of purity and righteousness. Imagine the absurdity of that action. And so we come to our first conclusion that I told you we'd hopefully come to. Human traditions lead to a disregard for the authority, the clarity, and the sufficiency of Scripture. I don't care if your grandma did it. I don't care if your great-grandma did it. It does not matter if it violates the tradition or the, the commandment of God. Your tradition should be void, not the Word of God. And so how do we apply this? Simply this. We're so deceived by the traditions that we cling to. We must. We're compelled. We're obligated to cry out, Holy Spirit, search our hearts and show us where we have cast aside the Word of God in favor of traditions, in favor of opinions. Now, after this interaction with the Pharisees, Jesus calls the crowd back to himself. It seems as though he addressed the Pharisees privately and and directly. But now there is a false teaching being promoted by their, their traditions that must be exposed by Jesus. And so Jesus says this. He called all the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And this introduction to Jesus' proclamation is just as important as its content. Let Let me demonstrate what I mean by that. Notice this. Jesus begins this statement with the command, Hear me. Six times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus quotes Levitical law, and he he makes a reference to the way it was interpreted at the time. And then he would say, after doing that, after giving the law and how it was interpreted, he said he would say, "You've heard that it would say it has been said the law and the interpretation. You've heard that it's been said." And then he would say. But I say to you, what is happening there? Jesus, there and here, is putting himself forward as the one with authority, the one who properly interprets the law, the one you should listen to. He's saying, I'm the guy. I'm the one with the authority to do this. He also addresses this. He doesn't just say, hear me, but he addresses this to all of you. He addresses the entire group assembled before him. He wants everyone to see that the way of the rabbi's traditions is coming to an end. He has declared the death sentence over this traditional garbage that the, that the rabbis are promoting. He's exposing man-made religion for the empty sham that it is, and he wants everyone present to see its nakedness as he exposes it. Then thirdly, he commands them to understand. He doesn't want them to say, well, my mama did, my grandma did, and whatever, and continue in the dead-end road of religious ritual. He obligates his hearers to his pure and perfect interpretation of God's law. And in so doing, this is the good part for you, believer. 
In so doing, he frees them from all imposed observances. Mm, Thank God. Our gathering here this morning would look a lot different if we were under the the slavery of all of those imposed observances. It would look tremendously different. But thank God, Christ has freed us from those. And then, if that wasn't enough, Jesus drops a bombshell on the rabbinical system. He tells the masses standing there that nothing that goes into them has the power to defile them. Whether it's eating unclean foods or whether it's uh, eating uh, unclean foods with unwashed hands or mingling with unclean people, none of that can defile them. As we said last week, he's not talking about health and hygiene. Of course you should wash your hands before you eat. That's not his point. But rather he's talking about heart purity and a clean conscience. His point was that true... Please listen to this. His point is that true purity is never achieved by outside restrictions. By building fences and walls and outer restrictions. See, some of you have been under a false delusion for decades. You are not defined as God's people by what you don't do. I'm going to let that sink in for a second or two. You are not defined as God's people by what you don't do. You are defined as the people of God by what He has done. We recognize the fact that the grace of God is our only hope for forgiveness and life and yes, for purity. And we fled to Him alone for salvation. We fled to Him alone for cleansing. It's not found in my, I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't hang out with women that do whatever this old statement is. It's found in the fact that though I did all of those things and many, many, many worse, that Jesus found me, he called my name, and he cleansed me. Now, some of you are squirming. I can see it, so i got to say this. It is definitely true that there are things that Christians don't do. I did not just give you a license to do whatever you want to do. Don't hear that, go do something stupid, and post it on the Facebook that your pastor said it was okay. The New Testament of this Bible is absolutely filled with commands, just like the Old Testament. Absolutely filled with commands. But there's a difference that happens. See, the Old Testament says, I will put my law not in a book alone, but in their hearts. What he has written on pages for us, he is now, through the grace of Jesus, has written in our hearts. And so it's different. We are, you know, we're, we're not under the delusion anymore that not doing certain things makes us more holy. No, Titus says that we say no to ungodliness because of the grace of God. We say no to ungodliness because we love God and we hate sin. We don't do it to earn merit with God or to avoid ritual defilement. Now these disciples, these 12 guys, these are good Jewish boys. And they've been under this 
idea of the traditions of the fathers and the elders for all their lives. And so they, as they, we see them so many times in the Gospels, are flabbergasted. They're confused. And so away from the people, when they're alone in the house, they ask Jesus, Hey, Jesus, did we hear you right? Nothing from the outside makes us unclean? Are, are you sure? That there, was there some error in the translation? What, what are you saying, Jesus? And Jesus reminds, reminds them that he commanded the people to understand, and yet there they are, standing there with their mouths agape, not understanding. And yet, he repeats to them his premise. Whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him. How can this be? Because they didn't understand what Jesus was laying before him. See, Jesus was presenting them the new of the new covenant. He was presenting to them the heaven of the kingdom of heaven. A truth that was so amazing that it revolutionizes everything they'd been taught about holiness and defilement. See, the Pharisees were obsessed with outward purity, and they, th- they thought, this has great bearing on the stature of the inner man. But Jesus is opening up a brand new reality for them. A reality that Paul, in the, God, in the epistles, would later explain for us how this worked. He said in Colossians 2.20, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. In other words, you're not part of this corrupting, fallen world anymore. Why? Because with Christ, when you believed in Christ, you died to that. And, and, and so Paul is saying, if that is the state of affairs, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle. Don't taste. Don't touch. And Paul says this refers to things that all perish as they are used. Things that are going away. And he says we do this according to, as I've been saying, human precepts and teachings. And he says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But pay close attention, if you're a legalist this morning, I feel like I need to do a Jeff Foxworth routine. You might be a legalist if. If you're a legalist, pay attention to what Paul says in this last clause. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can tell me, I never touch this stuff all the time. You can say, I don't talk to people like that. I don't go to places like that all the time. And I may congratulate you for your restraint, but I will tell you, it doesn't make you one iota more holy. Those who truly belong to Christ have no need of outward religious ritual purification. Why? If you think you do, then you don't understand the gospel. We don't need those things because we've already been actually, internally, and eternally purified. Therefore, things like food and people we deem to be unclean have no power to defile us. Jesus says, the food, big deal with the Pharisees, is incapable of making you clean. It's something that's eaten and then it's either digested or expelled. Marx had the parenthetical statement that I love in this scripture. 
It says that in saying this, Jesus was dismissing the ceremonial food laws that are laid out in Leviticus 11. And he was declaring all foods clean. Remember that as you go to lunch today. Pork chops and shrimp are back on the menu, folks. Thank God, right? And Jesus explains what he meant to the disciples. He says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come, look at this list. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. I'll pause there. Do we still have that up? Keep that up. Don't answer. Just look at the list. I'm talking to believers and unbelievers. Are there reflections of you in that list? Never murdered anybody. Okay. All right. What about some of the others? You ever slandered anybody? Ever walked in pride? Have you been foolish? Oh, and by the way, Jesus says that you have murdered somebody. He says the one that is angry with his brother without a cause, same in his eyes as murder. And Jesus is saying this is the content of our heart. He's echoing the book of Proverbs that says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Why do we, as we Read today from the London Baptist Confession, why do we teach that all men are from birth corrupt? Because this is what we think in our heart. This is what, this is what the content of our inner being is. Jesus says that our problem has never been our unwashed hands, but rather our impure and defiled hearts. The, the digestive process that Jesus so graphically illustrates here, by comparison, it makes getting rid of unclean foods fairly easy, pretty natural. But it takes sanctification by the Holy Spirit, by God, to purify a polluted heart. You are not going to do it on your own. Certainly aren't going to do it with religious ritual. Paul says to the Romans, echoing Jesus here, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Isn't this where we all find ourselves constantly? Overwhelmed and overcome by sinful desires that we hate, while way too often our righteous desires lay completely dormant within us. Like Jesus, the prophet Jeremiah pinpointed our problem like a mechanic who tells us where that rattle under our hood is coming from. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then from the heavens, Jeremiah is given an answer. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. See, our problem isn't external defilement, but internal. It's, it's spiritual. It's not physical or environmental. 
And therefore, our second truth that we've looked for in this passage today, observance of religious traditions can, are entirely worthless when it comes to the cleansing of the human heart. And furthermore, this isn't only some of us who are internally spiritually defiled, it's 100% of us. We're all born dead spiritually. And then because of our spiritual death in this life, we face the the eternal death sentence in the next world. And this is the inheritance we have received from our first parents. This should be terribly, terribly depressing news. I mean... If you if we stop here in the message and you go home and ponder that, you should just be worthless for the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the rest of your life when you ponder that. Because you are defiled and all of your defilement isn't coming from somewhere out there. You can't blame anybody. It's coming right from in here. And it should cause us to rip our clothes like an Old Testament prophet and cry out like Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost! I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the middle of a people of unclean lips. But some of you, like the Pharisees, will try to improve your lot by strict religious observance and try your best to beat God on a technicality when he confronts our wickedness and our rebellion. But let me just assure you before you go to all that effort, it won't work. Others will just ignore, they'll close their eyes and ignore the problem of their polluted hearts. They'll hope that God also is ignoring and isn't seeing and he isn't noticing. And and to, to just be sure that, you know, you might try to convince yourself through whatever means that God doesn't even exist. And so and you're just as bad as the Pharisees but saying God doesn't exist because you're also washing your hands of culpability. <laughs> but you know, because you've laid in bed at night by yourself thinking about this, you know your conscience won't let you off that easily. Deep down, if you're honest, if you have the guts to be honest with yourself, deep down you know that he sees Your corruption, my friend, please hear me, is not hidden from God. And then there's a fourth group of us that the reason that some of us won't despair. And if I may add, the only reason some of us won't give way to despair is because we have discovered something so amazing Or should I rather say that something so amazing has been revealed to us? We didn't discover it, it was revealed to us. It's so amazing, so astonishing that our hearts are flooded with joy. And that truth is this, it's found in the words of an old hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And watch this, sinner's Plunged beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. You can wash your hands till you die and you will not remove your corruption, but the blood of Jesus. Being bathed in the blood of Jesus will wash you clean 
from the most deep, dark stain in your heart. We have discovered, we do not give way to despair because we have discovered the power of Christ to make us clean. Which is the thing that we could have never done on our own. Now we're not elitist, we're not superior, we none of us deny our filthiness, our unrighteousness, our uncleanness. We don't deny our helplessness in the face of our depraved condition. But here's the difference between those of us who believe and those of you who haven't. We have turned around from looking horizontally and we've begun to look vertically. We look to heaven, we look to Jesus. And Jesus takes our filthy rags And he gives us spotless robes of righteousness. He takes the foulest of sinners and makes them clean. We don't try to fix our problem through ritual, through ceremony, through tradition. We come to our Savior empty-handed. And empty hands are open hands. And with open hands, we receive the grace that forgives sin, that imputes righteousness, that pays debts, and that raises the dead. So do this for me. Do this for yourself. Do this for Christ's sake. Stop trying to fix what is broken in you by your meaningless attempts to be better. Come to Christ this morning just like you are. Repent not just of the strictest legal definition of actual sins, but of the wicked heart within you that compels you to pursue that which displeases God. Trust that He is able to transform you, to recreate you, to cleanse you, and to empower you. The writer of Hebrews says all of that so beautifully. He says, For if the blood of bulls and goats that which was offered in the Old Testament. And the sprinkling of of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Bow your heads, please. I want to just ask you, if if you're here this morning and you recognize the brokenness, the wickedness, the impurity, the uncleanness of your heart, and you know that this is the day that you were here by ordination by the Holy Spirit, that he brought you here to be cleansed, to be purified by placing your, your, your trust in Jesus Christ, then I just want to ask you this morning just to slip up a hand. We're, we're not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. We're not going to uh, make you do anything that would, uh, that would shame you. But is there anybody that would like perhaps to pray after the service and, and, um, and talk about these things? Would you, no one's looking around. Would you just slip up your hand and let me, let me acknowledge you this morning? You'll never do it on your own. Only by trusting in Christ will you ever be clean. 
Thank you so much. Anyone else? All right. I'm going to be up here at after service by the communion tables. Just come and talk to me. And um, I thank you for your response and your obedience to Christ this morning. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for cleansing us fully, those who have trusted in you and placed our confidence in you. And Lord, I pray that you would just open um, our hearts to thankfulness. God, just knowing, Lord God, that we are not cleansed by the things we don't do, but we're cleansed and fully cleansed and eternally cleansed by what you have done. Thank you for allowing us to appropriate that by putting our, our, our trust in you. God, I pray for those here who are unclean, impure, defiled. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would follow them out these doors. God, that your voice would be loud in their hearts and that you would open up your word, Lord God, and let them see the truth, see their need, see their desperation, see that nothing in this life will satisfy until they surrender their heart, place their trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to invite you to come and receive the elements, take them back to your uh, chairs, and then we'll take them together. Um, I always want to remind you, especially after a message like today, that if if you are not right with Christ, whether you raised your hand or not, if you're not right with Christ, um, please do not come forward to this table. This is serious, serious business. It is a matter of absolute rejoicing. We don't want to make it overly somber for those who are believers who are in Christ, but this is not just a mere, you know, ceremony or treat. Um, this is serious business. The Bible says that those who partake of this in a haphazard way, it says some of some have actually become sick and some have died. It says that they actually eat and drink judgment to themselves. And we want, as leaders of the church, we want our conscience to be clean, that we warn you properly that until you have until you have have come under the grace of Jesus that makes us clean please don't come forward for the rest of you we just want to welcome you and come and tell you to come in a celebratory fashion to come and receive these reminders these elements these these communications of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ come on and receive the elements and then we'll take them together Paul writes to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Lord, thank you for your purifying blood, your broken body that was broken in our stead, that purchased for us eternal life, purchased for us forgiveness of sins, purchased for us sanctification and cleansing from the remaining corruption within us, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, we pray that we would, um, in the renewal of this covenant, Lord, that we would be faithful to you and that you would um, uh, draw us close into intimate fellowship with you. Lord, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for this time together in your house and with your people and under your word and sharing in the sacrament, Lord. We thank you for all of this. It's all a gift from you, and we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I want to read you this benediction from Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.